Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I am your host, Karen Thomas, and thank you so much for being here with us today. I greatly appreciate you being a proactive parent and being here to get resources, natural resources, that you need to help your child with the optimum outcome from their, uh, on your journey on this road to recovery from autism. And th- remember, the, the definition of recovery is to regain health, and my son was, when he was diagnosed, I was told to drug him and try behavioral therapies, but having a long background in holistic health as a craniosacral therapist studying the brain, I really knew that the brain could heal, and I wanted to know what I could do for him to make him feel better, to to be happier, because he was hurting, and he was very unhappy with with the, the issues that he had going on. And so I began my research, and it has led me to where we are today, and now 13 years later, my son is fully recovered. And we know that everybody's level of recovery is different, but they can get better and they can feel better. And so today's episode is sponsored by my free workshop. Please go uh, uh, watch this. It'll help you understand more about the four stages to naturally recover from the symptoms of autism and what those are. And stage one is healing the gut. Stage two is natural heavy metal detoxification. Stage three is clearing the co-infections, things like mold and Lyme and strep issues. And then stage four is brain support and repair. And you can you can uh, get this at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop. No spaces, just free workshop. You can go and register right now. It's available for you to help you understand more of what you need to do. And we are here to give you, uh, an, uh, again, a yet a, a fabulous resource that I think is going to be really helpful today. We are talking about parenting without stress. And this is going to be an episode that helps you as a parent and can help you with your your children uh, in school, their teachers, their aides, their therapists who are supposed to, you know, be the all-knowing. Sometimes they they can need some help as well. So we have a special guest with us today, Dr. Marvin Marshall, and he has, he's an American educator, an author, a professional speaker. He has over 40 years in the educational system, working within administration and as a teacher in multiple levels, all the way from elementary school up to collegiate. And he is widely known as an expert on reducing stress. His Without Stress trilogy of books includes Live Without Stress, How to Enjoy the Journey, Discipline Without Stress, Punishment or Rewards, How Teachers and Parents Promote Responsibility in Learning and Parenting Without Stress, How to Raise Responsible Kids While Keeping a Life of Your Own. He has presented in 44 of the United States and in 25 countries on five continents to corporations, parents, uh, parent groups, schools, school districts, universities, local and state and national and international associations and government agencies. And he shows how young people, they influence themselves to become more responsible by implementing the three practices that we're going to talk about today that he has pretty much perfected in what he is teaching. And it's about raising responsibility by showing them basically more effective ways to uh, they instead of aiming at obedience, we're aiming at showing them responsibility, that it's their choice, not just forcing a child to do something. And I know it's hard enough as it is to raise a child, just the general challenges that come up. But you and I know that raising a child with autism 
can have even greater challenges because there are often communication uh, issues going on. Um, and again, if they're their their gut and their brain aren't working well and they're loaded with toxins and they're um, they can have behavioral issues they can't they can't really listen well so this is going to be I believe really helpful for you um, for your and and again you can be able to to share it with um, the educators and the, the therapist that your child is involved with as well so uh, Dr. Marvin Marshall Dr. Marshall thank you so much for being here with us today I greatly appreciate your your help and your and your time that you're giving us as well it's my pleasure, Karen. Thank you for inviting me. So why don't we start at the beginning? Um, you have an approach that is different from most people's. And so um, why don't you give us a little bit of your background and you know how you kind of segued into all of this that you do and, uh, and, and what the philosophy is? Well, the background is that uh, I was an elementary, middle, and high school principal and a district director of education. I returned to the classroom after 24 years in staff development and school administration, uh, also having been a counselor on all levels. And what stuck out at me was that people, educators, and really parents are doing things that are counterproductive and they don't even realize it. For example, uh, we like to tell people what to do. Karen, do you like to be told what to do? I don't think anybody does. No one. <laughs> exactly. And the reason why, it, there's an inference when you tell someone what to do, and that inference is what you're doing is not good enough, and you need to change. We like to tell people what to do, but we don't like being told ourselves what to do. So the key above everything else is to ask yourself whether or not when I communicate, if it's going to be coercive or not. A little bit of background in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, there's an area called Franklin Square, where there's a diorama of Benjamin Franklin bending over talking to King George III right after the passage of the Stamp Act. And Franklin says to the king, you cannot coerce people into changing their minds. So the first thing to ask yourself is when you are communicating is, is the person going to perceive this as if I'm telling or as if I'm coercing the person to do something? Because when you, when the person feels that the person is being controlled, they immediately have a negative perception. For example, see if you can visualize this. There's a teenager, and the kid is going to do something that the father knows is not going to be in the kid's best interest. So the father starts to tell the youngster. Now, the youngster still wants his father's love, but at the same time is cutting the umbilical cord. He wants his own independence. So as the father starts to talk to the kid, you can see the glaze come over the kid's eyes because the kid's perception is, my father is trying to control me again. Good intentions, counterproductive results. So what you do is you learn how to share information and you ask reflective questions because in the final analysis, you can control people. A parent can control his son or daughter, but you cannot change them. People change themselves and the least effective approach 
is to use coercion in any way. The trick is, as in, our, in all my books, are three practices. Number one, be you know positive what? in your communications. Number okay. two. Go ahead and uh, yeah, let's let's label the the three um, the three yeah the the first three and tell what they are, and then we need to take a short commercial break, and then we will come back right. and we will elaborate on them. So again, what number one is what again? Positivity. The second one is choice, and the third is reflection. Positive positivity, choice, and reflection can improve anyone's lives, and I'll explain them as soon as we come back. All right, perfect. So stay with us. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we are coming to you live from Bold Brave Media. And today we are talking, uh, our episode is Parenting Without Stress, How to Raise Responsible Kids While Keeping a Life of Your Own. And we have educator uh, Marvin Marshall with us, Dr. Marvin Marshall. And before the break, we were talking about, we just were getting into the three practices basically to live your life and and for, for communicating with people. So Dr. Marshall, can you go ahead and elaborate on those three practices and maybe repeat them again in case somebody's just tuning in right now? Sure. The first practice is positivity. The second practice is choice. And the third practice is reflection. I'll mention a little bit about each and then I'll go into more detail. The first one, positivity. People do better when they feel better. If you feel good and you think in positive illustrations and think of what you can do instead of what you cannot do, it inspires you and gives you hope. The second practice is choice. Basically, we are making choices every minute in which we breathe because choice ends when life ends. The third practice is reflection. The idea behind this is that you can control people, but you cannot change them. People change themselves. And the most effective approach to inspire or to influence a person to change is through reflection. And the trick here is to learn how to ask reflective questions. So let's start with positivity. People do better when they feel good. Think of the time when you felt bad and ask yourself, did you do good? Chances are you probably did not. The approach of positivity can literally enhance one's person, a person's life and reduce their stress and increase their longevity. The reason is that the brain and the body are so coordinated with each other that when you think positively, endorphins arise in your body and the result is you feel better. There is probably nothing better than a human can do than to feel great. And Chances are most of us have felt good, have had a, a period or an experience in our lives when we really felt good, and that is because we had a positive orientation. The second practice has got to do with choice. As I mentioned, 
choice ends when the life ends. We are constantly making decisions. One decision I make on a regular basis is to think positively. If something occurs to me or I've had some experience, I always, because I'm now habituated to do this, I ask myself, what can I learn from this experience? Regardless of how bad or unfortunate the experience is, I always take something from it so that I will improve my thinking, improve my emotions, and improve my enjoyment of life. You can always turn whatever lemonade there is into something positive by thinking positive. Again, choice ends. When life ends, we are constantly making choices. And for example, you have a conversation with a person. You can come to the conclusion this is negative, or you can come to the conclusion that, hey, I haven't thought about that. I'm learning something. To me, learning ends when life ends. And again, the third principle is reflection. That is, you cannot change people, people change themselves, and the trick behind that is to asking reflective questions. Now, in terms of asking, there's a very simple point here by way of example. Let's assume you're talking to somebody and the person asks you a question. Do you go on a monologue? Or do you stop and answer the person's question? Well, we stop and answer the person's question. And the point to remember here is the person who asks the question controls the conversation. So if somebody is asking you or telling you something, the way to change that conversation for you to be in, for you to be in control is to ask a question. So here's one that oftentimes a teacher can ask if a youngster is really out of control. The question is, are you angry at me or at the situation? What you have done is prompted the youngster to reflect. And the kid will say, well, I guess I'm just frustrated and I'm taking it out on you. A parent and adult should never take personally what a young person says. And the reason is the young person is emotional and is taking it out on the adult. And you can change that by simply asking the question again, are you angry at me or the situation? What you have done is prompted the youngster to reflect. It's amazingly simple based on the idea that if you want to be in control, you are the person who asks the question. So if a youngster asks you a question, you just toss the question back at the youngster because you want the youngster to be responsible and the way to do that is to have the person reflect. Now, on my website, withoutstress.com, if you stroll, scroll down, there is a, a card size little uh, well it, it, it's a poster also but what it does it gives you a visual orientation of how to control impulses basically what you do is you have the youngster take a gasp of breath think of a stoplight with red on top and then 
in that moment that the person is is stopping and not becoming emotionally hijacked, you think of a choice that the person can do, and then you go with the choice. For example, you can apply this to yourself. Let's assume that uh, you're driving and on the freeway and there's a traffic accident and you're thinking as I'm going to be late for an appointment. Rather than become emotionally hijacked, what you do is you stop and think, well, what's, what options can I have? Uh, for example, I can, I can turn on the radio, I can uh, think of my next vacation. By thinking along these lines, you are changing your thinking. By changing your thinking, the emotion always follows. This is the way the, the, way the brain body operates. The emotion always follows cognition. I'll explain more in just a moment. Okay, that's a great place to uh, take a quick break right here. And when we come back, we'll we'll get further into that that emotional aspect and these example questions. I think are really really helpful. So you're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. Stay with us. We- Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host Karen Thomas, and we are coming to you live from Bold Brave Media. Thank you for being here with us today. We are talking about parenting without stress. I think that's something we can all uh, use any support with anytime, any day. Um, We were talking before the break about emotional aspects and examples. This is about communication and the best ways that we can communicate with our kids. And we, you know, redirecting emotions rather than everybody just getting heated up. Uh, So, Dr. Marshall, would you, you know, continue on with some of those, those great examples? I think it's really good if we can have something practical um, to help us, you know, help us understand, you know, more of what, how, how to utilize this work. And of course, we'll, we'll give links to your website, and your book and everything is too, but, and all I've created a, a page for this, uh, this, this episode uh, as well at naturally recovering autism.com forward slash 33, just the numbers three, three. And, um, and you can get some, some links and find Dr. Marshall's uh, books as, that, from there as well. Um, because these are great examples. And I know all day, every day, it's, it's challenging as a parent to not get heated up in a moment, especially when things get really heightened and you want to stay calm and you struggle for what is the best way for me to deal with this situation. And I know that we want to help educate, you know, the parents or the, the teachers of our kids at school as well, because that that's happening there too. And we, we ultimately want to give kids a sense of, like you said, responsibility, and then also, you know, keep their self-esteem up. We don't want to, you know, have these kids be, you know, just submissive and crushed down and, and think that what they say or want doesn't matter. So can you give us some more, um, we were talking about the emotional aspects and, and maybe give us some more examples? Sure. The thing to keep in mind, the overriding principle to keep in mind is that Emotions always follow cognition. So, for example, if you think of something pleasant, if you think of something pleasant, you'll have a good feeling. If you think of a bad experience you have, you will have a bad experience, a bad feeling, that is. The way the brain and body operate in the human condition is first comes the thinking always followed by a feeling. So for example, if you taste something that is enjoyable, it, it feels good. If uh, you uh, 
put your hand on a, on a stove, of course, it's not going to feel good. So we, it first comes from our senses, what we think, what we see, what we touch, what we hear, what we taste. That's the, the cognition part followed by a feeling. So if you ask questions that are going to prompt a good feeling, let me put it this way. If you ask a question, be sure that the question is one of reflective, reflective one so that it prompts a good feeling. The key to changing behavior is to redirect the cognition, the thinking, so that the feeling follows. So if you say something that's going to be negative to a youngster or, or to anyone, it prompts a bad feeling. The way to always remember to prompt good feelings is to always talk to people in a positive way. And you ask the question and phrase it in such a way such as the person will reflect. So, for example, the parents ask the youngster who's going to do something which is not a responsible thing to do, how are you going to feel about this two years from now when you look back at it? The idea is to ask a question that is going to prompt, again, a positive feeling because you can control people, as I mentioned earlier, but you cannot change them. People change themselves, and the easiest way to have a person do what you would like them to do is have them reflect, and you do this by asking a question in a way that the person is going to reflect and do what you would like the person to do. Simply ask yourself, when I ask this question or when I share something, is the person going to think in terms of I'm trying to control the person or, or I'm just sharing information? It's critical to understand this brain-body connection. Cognition all, is always followed by some emotion. You listen to a speaker. You just hear the person and the emotion kicks in. You like the person, you don't like the person. So often we operate on our emotions and again, it's because of how we perceive them. So if somebody says something that I would disagree with, I would ask myself, what can I learn by this? I want to be positive rather than being negative and just denying what the person is saying. You live longer, you live better, life is more enjoyable if you think in, always in terms of positivity. If you don't like a situation, you ask yourself, what can I learn from this? And that's a decision you make. We're always making decisions from the time you get up in the morning until the time you go to sleep at night. We're constantly making decisions. And the trick is to be aware that you're always making a decision. No one forces you to do anything. You may not like the choice, but the fact is, regardless of the stimulation, regardless of the situation you cannot change, regardless of the urge, you always have the choice of your response, which is the reason why no one ever has to be a victim, because you can always choose how you're going to respond. Again, Choice ends when life ends. The trick, however, is to be aware that you are always making choices. 
again, the third approach is how you can influence the person to change, and it's never going to be through coercion. If the person perceives it as being you're trying to coerce the person or change the person, the person is going to react negatively. It's called counterwill. You'll see it in the t terrible twos in the teenage years where parents will tell the kids what to do and the kids respond in a negative way. That's because they're in a power struggle. If you remove all the any power struggle, you're going to have the youngsters do what you want them to do because it's not coercive. And again, how do you communicate in a non-coercive way? Talk to kids in a positive way. Give them the choice. When you do that, they'll most likely choose what you would like them to do. And remember, you can, you can control, but you cannot change. And the trick is to have people do what you want them to do by the questions that you ask. And of course, uh, in all of my writings, many are even on my website, there are questions, all kinds of questions you can ask to improve your relationships and reduce your stress. Yeah, that'll be great because it's, it's nice to have those examples. I think it helps all of us to go in and, and, um, and you know, kind of get more familiar with the certain things that you can do or, or say that are appropriate because sometimes we think what we're saying is the right thing, but it's not. And I remember when I was raising my son how, you know, he had what the therapist told us um, – that specialized in autism spectrum disorder, she said it was the worst case of oppositional defiance disorder she had ever seen. And so this is what I was dealing with as a parent. What do you do with a child who especially just defies, says no, does not listen to anything, I mean, trying everything. And so it was a constant effort and struggle for me to try to think of the most positive ways that I could say things to not get caught up in the moment emotionally so that I said the wrong things to try and, you know, help, help him. Because I did notice when I, when I said things in a way that helped him to keep his own empowerment, when I wasn't trying to control and wasn't trying to take that away from him, that the results were definitely more positive. And I think that I know that you have some really good ways to, uh, to show parents also with some some things that you can do prior to responding to your child or anybody else and even I think this is great for teachers to know to take take a few deep breaths um, certain certain breathing exercises and things to instead of just you know reacting we want to be responding and so to take the emotion out of it, the breathing, the the breathing and the the self calming before we say anything is really really helpful too. Yes, and one way to do this is a is a, a card I have that's um, on my website called Impulse Management. And so, for example, uh, you're driving. In, uh, and uh, the, the traffic is very, very heavy. As I mentioned, you're going to be late for an appointment, and and uh, you automatically become emotionally hijacked, and I'll show you how to become emotionally hijacked uh, in just a moment. Okay, perfect time. We're going to take a quick break here. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism, and uh, we're going to talk about impulse management when we come back. So. 
Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and today we are talking about parenting without stress, how to raise raise responsible kids while keeping a life of your own, and 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 approaching your child with positivity rather than uh, just trying to get obedience and control. And I mentioned before the break that my son had extreme oppositional defiance disorder uh, back once upon a time, many years ago now. And I, I do want to share with you as a parent listening in today that um, it's very important to know my son was extremely defiant back then and had a lot of anger and tantrum issues. And today, because he his biology is healed up and he is he's he's recovered, and th- this was an overload of toxins affecting his brain, his ability to function and think properly and clearly, and um, and these emotion these the, the way that he used to be is nothing like he is today. So I'd like to give you that as a as a piece of hope as well. Today, my son is calm, he's easygoing, he's relaxed, he's funny. And I know that the way that, that, you know, teachers dealt with him back then, and maybe even we spoke with him back then sometimes that, you know, those, those emotions that are created, especially when they're children, are, are held in their body. So even after he has recovered, I, I do know, you know, I, I help him with, you know, just making sure he's comfortable, his self-esteem is good, he's comfortable with people because they have a lot of time in their life, especially as children, when those impressionable years are there, the subconscious is developing with who I am, that they, they need to know that they are worthy. And um, once they recover, they can be left with some of those old emotions and things that from a long time ago, just as we all can. We have things that maybe an incident that happened to us or incidences that happened to us in childhood, and we don't want to have those run us. So the more we can do with children in the more positive way, the better. So we have Dr. Marvin Marshall with us here today. And Dr. Marshall, we were talking before the break about some uh, some impulse management. And I think that's a great thing to share with parents because we do often just get so caught up in the emotional response because it, it can be so stressful in a moment. So what are some of those, what are some of the pieces with impulse management that you have to share with us? Well, first let me mention that it's important since a lot of parents use rules that rules are counterproductive. What rules are basically expectations or they are procedures and the trick is to teach a procedures these young people need a procedure because the way the their brain operates it's uh, it's random and the quickest and most effective way is to teach a procedure so here's a procedure for impulse management You can visualize this yourself, or by example, you're in the car and there's a traffic jam and you're afraid you're going to be, uh, you're afraid you're going to be late for an appointment. You take a deep gasp of breath. Imagine a signal, a traffic signal. The red is on top. You take a deep gasp of breath. In that moment, before you become emotionally hijacked, you have the opportunity to think. Think of the yellow. What are my choices? I can turn the radio on, think of my next vacation, whatever, and then green you go with your best choice. So in other words, you have a procedure 
versus a rule. A procedure gives you a specific approach to handle the problem. In this case, it, I call this impulse control, and you can see them on my website withoutstress.com. Again, visualize a traffic signal. The red on top means stop, what, and you take a gasp of breath. The way this works biologically or physiologically is the trigeminal nerves are at the base of your jawbone. And this is the nerve that sends the impulse throughout your entire body. Just by taking a gasp of breath, the trigeminal nerve is released and that tension can be released and then you can go with your best choice. So it's important to have a procedure to have the body act and respond the way you would like it to respond. Impulse control is what it's called and anybody can do it. And the more you have a procedure to, for impulse control, for example, if you have a tendency to get angry, the more you use this approach, the more brain waves you have made in your, uh, in your brain to habituate this procedure, the less angry you will become and the, the intensity of your anger will also decrease. And the reason is you have a procedure. Life operates on procedures. If you were looking for your car keys, well, if you have a procedure next time you put your car keys down and you say, oh, okay, I'm, I'm putting my car keys right here, and you visualize it, you're never going to have to look for your car keys again. So many things are improved if you have a procedure for what you do, and that includes impulse control. All right, perfect. That's a great, uh, great place to to stop again for another break. And uh, when we come back, we'll we'll talk further about these these things that uh, these practical things that parents can do to help communicate with their child in a positive way, and uh, and then also things that you can share with other parents and educators with your child uh, to do the same. So we want to keep their self esteem as good as, as best we can, and we all want to be a, <laughs> reduce the stress as best we can in our lives as well for everybody. So you're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas. Please stay with us. We will be right Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas. Thank you for being here with us. And we are talking about parenting without stress. And uh, we have Dr. Marvin Marshall with us. And before the break, we were talking about certain things that you can do for impulse management and um, and also about how self-esteem is affected, which I think is really, really important. I know as a parent and an all of the parents that I talk to, this is a concern as our kids are growing up with, you know, their their differences, let's just say, with society and communication and in school and social aspects and, and everything that, that they're working with um, and the challenges. So, Dr. Marshall, would you talk about, you know, what your what your opinions are around self-esteem and, and, and anything that you can share with us with that aspect? Sure. It's very natural for people to compare themselves with other people. And one of the things a parent can do that can significantly help a person's self-esteem is to emphasize not to compare yourself with anyone else because there will always be someone who can do something better than you can. 
and comparing yourself with someone else is a very natural thing to do and it is one of the poorest ways to develop self-esteem. Self-esteem has got to do with how you feel about yourself. Parents can point out so many things that youngsters are good at, that they like to do. They, if they like to do something, they may practice it. They're going to be better at it. Every time you feel that or you, you, you hear that your youngster is comparing him or herself with someone else, immediately stop that conversation and let the person know that comparing yourself with anyone else is one of the worst things that you can do to build your self-esteem. Everyone has talents. Everyone has abilities that are different from anyone else. There is no one who ever lived who was like talking to a youngster like you. You are unique. Do not compare yourself with others. Instead, think in terms of what you can do. Self-esteem does not come from other people. It doesn't come from giving a reward for doing something that you should do anyway. It comes from how you feel about yourself. And the most effective way to increase your self-esteem is to think in terms of what you can do, what your talents are. In other words, you be positive about your own thinking. Anytime you have a youngster who you are communicating and is thinking negatively about him or herself, immediately switch the conversation to what the person can do. People feel better when they think in positive terms, not in negative terms. In addition, there is another card that I have. It's on my website. It's, and you can uh, make an Internet search for levels of social development, levels of social development, and you will see where I teach the difference between external motivation and internal motivation. People will never get the feeling of satisfaction of doing things to get a reward or uh, because somebody uh, tells them to do something that they will if they take the initiative to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Very quickly, a woman contacted me. She says, Marv, I've got to tell you what happened at the market today. I left the uh, market, the cashier, with a lime in my hand. I didn't realize it until I got uh, to my car. I didn't want to work back just to pay the 10 cents, but I knew the levels of social development, I knew it was the right thing to do. I walked back, gave the cashier the 10 cents for the lime. She thanked me, and I said, Marv, I cannot tell you how great it felt doing the right thing simply because it was the right thing to do. Not because somebody told me, because I knew I took the initiative to do the right thing simply because it was the right thing to do. You will never get that from what I call level C, conformity. If you take the initiative to do the right thing because you know it's the right thing to do and you have the courage to do the right thing to do, your life will be so much more happier because you are taking the responsibility to live civilly in a civil society. People have got to be responsible if we are going to continue a, a democratic system of life. And that is the reason why the highest level of social development I refer to as democracy. It is amazing how good you can feel 
by doing the right thing, by referring to the levels of social development, which again are all over the internet. Just check out levels of social development. In levels of social development, if you just go on and, and uh, check out the internet, you're, you're saying that there will be multiple things that will come up that are not only yours, but others that will be helpful in parents knowing more about um, practical skills. Is that what will come up? Yes, yes, because there there are four levels of social social development. The bottom one is anarchy, uh, where anybody can do anything, and it, it, <laughs> uh, you can't have a civil society. Then what happens is when there's anarchy, somebody takes over. That person becomes the boss or the bully. These two lower levels are unacceptable. The third level is conformity and uh uh, cooperation where most of us live our lives, except that for some, uh, sometimes a, a young person will say, hey, let's do something that's uh, really not a responsible thing to do. And peer pressure is so strong that others follow in because they don't have the articulation to say, hey, you know, this is level C, this, this is a, not a responsible thing to do. And then the highest level is level D, democracy, where you take the initiative to do the right thing simply because it's the right thing to do. This little uh, uh, card or, or poster or levels of social development are a rubric for kids from the age three on to make responsible decisions because people who are responsible live more enjoyable and longer lives and less stress on their lives because they know they're doing the right thing. This peer pressure at, at the teenage years, really since uh, kids become socialized in, uh, uh, in kindergarten, uh, peer pressure is so important and this is a way to resist bad peer influence. Right. And it's great, too, especially as teenagers when they, you know, somebody might be trying to influence them at school to do the wrong things or things they don't want to do, drugs, alcohol, various things. It's good for them to have that 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 self-esteem, that that sense of I know what the right thing is to do and I don't have to do what you're saying because because they feel good about themselves, good enough to stand up for themselves. Um, so we need to take a short break right here. Uh, you're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. Please stay with us. We will be right back. Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I am your host, Karen Thomas, and we are coming to you live from Bold Brave Media and TuneIn Radio, and today we are talking with Dr. Marvin Marshall about parenting without stress and effective positivity and communication. And uh, before the break, we were talking a little bit about doing the right thing and and feeling good about it because you know it's the right thing to do. And so I'm also wondering too, Dr. Marshall, how does the language that you use affect how you feel? It is so important. Uh, let me just quote the opening of uh, my first book. Life is a conversation. Interestingly, the most influential person we talk with all day is ourselves, And what we tell ourselves has a direct bearing on our behavior, our performance, and our influence on others. In fact, a good case can be made that our self-talk creates our reality. So, for example, the uh, supervisor says uh, to the employee, before I leave today, I'd like to talk with you. Now, I'll ask this in, in a seminar, and uh, the question is, how many of you think that the uh, conversation by the supervisor is going to be a negative one? Almost all hands go up. That's an assumption, and it's wrong. 
the supervisor happens to have a letter from somebody who and the supervisor is a very complimentary letter that the supervisor wants to share. But in the meantime, for the, the last six hours, the person was thinking negatively. Simple language can change. For example, I have to see my supervisor versus I get to see my supervisor. It is amazing. If you use language that is positive, it is inspiring and has you feel good. There's probably nothing in life that can have a person feel good than having your body feel terrific. And that happens because of the brain-body connection. A large part of it has got to do with the conversation you have with yourself, not only with others, but if you talk to yourself in a positive way, you feel better. Life is better. It's less stressful. It's more enjoyable. Language is so important. And just by the simple example of saying, I get to see my supervisor instead of I have to see my supervisor, it's that simple. Talk to yourself in positive ways, and you'll talk to others in positive ways. Your relationships will improve, and life will be so much more enjoyable. And I know, too, it would release endorphins. Naturally, if you feel good, endorphins are released, these neurotransmitters, and uh, and when we feel good about something, we want to do it again. And then we do it again, and then it feels good, and we want to keep doing it again, and it becomes a habit because we like the way that we feel when we do it. So that's a, that's a, a great a great place to kind of end there as well. And I'm going to link to everything in the show notes uh, uh, that I created for this, uh, this page or this episode at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 33, number 33, um, just the numbers 33. And then Dr. Marvin Marshall's site is withoutstress.com. And I've also linked to it on that page, uh, number 33 that I created for this episode. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Greatly appreciate you getting getting these resources for your children and doing all that you can for their best well-being. And thank you, Dr. Marshall, for being here with us today and for your expertise and all of your time and effort as well. My pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time. Bye for now.